Lord, I pray that you would be with us in this service this morning, that the anointing of the Holy Ghost would be present. Lord, touching lives, not my words, not anything that man says, but God, only words that are prompted and spoken by and through the Holy Ghost. Lord, that you would be in this house this morning and that you would touch and move in people's lives. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God is so very good. And I know I'm going to take just about a second to visit and then I'll get into Scripture. And I won't have you stand again because we've already prayed and praised. So, uh, But I, I do want to visit for just a minute. God is so very good. Y'all know that last year the door was open uh, for me to go to Pakistan uh, to teach at our Bible college there, Pakistan School of the Word in Lahore, Pakistan. Uh, God has again been so very gracious and kind and opened another door. And uh, in April, I will be traveling to Lusaka, Zambia uh, to teach at Berea Theological Seminary College in Lusaka. Uh, I've been asked and uh, I just find it very humbling and such a privilege that I get to go for three weeks and teach on the Pentecostal theology of the Holy Spirit this time. I'm so very much looking forward to that, but I wanted to let everyone know because I'm sure most of you probably had seen it on Facebook anyway, but uh, God is just so good. I would have never thought in a million years that an old hillbilly from the hills and hollers of southern West Virginia would be blessed and find enough grace and favor to travel halfway around the world to train and teach people eager to win those to the kingdom for the cause of Christ. I give God all the praise and glory for that, but I am looking forward to it. This morning I want to take just a little bit and talk to you about from the past to press on. It may seem like a little bit of an odd title, but what we're going to read is Psalm 126. Like I say, I'm not going to have you stand again, but I am going to take time to read the text up front. In studying and reading through, I just found this text, and it just spoke a couple of points that we all have a past, that we need to praise, that we need to pray, that we have a promise, and that we need to press on. All peace, so hopefully we can... Let that stick into our mind a little bit. But first, let's read Psalm 126. It says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, and depending on which translation you have, it may read uh, something akin to when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, and I'll talk about that in a bit. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Some translations will tell you the streams in the Negev. Or Negev. They that sow in tears shall reap. In joy. Let me read that one verse again. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, 
shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. If I could sing a lick, I might break out right there and sing that old song, bringing in the sheaves. But I can't sing and y'all don't want to hear it. Psalm 126, it's kind of hard to date this particular psalm. Some, it's real easy to figure out exactly when they were written. I've talked many times about Psalm 51, which is one of my absolute favorite. It's very easy to narrow down exactly when that was written. It was when David had impregnated Bathsheba, and he had sinned, and he had killed her husband, and they had had a child, and that child died. That first child that he had with Bathsheba died. In Psalm 51, he wrote at that very moment, begging God not to take his Holy Spirit from him. That if he would just see fit to save him one more time, we might say today, that he would press on and teach people about God. So we know exactly when that was written. We can go through and we can date some others. This one's a little bit more difficult, but from what we read in the very start of it, it looks like it was probably after the fall of Israel and Judah and probably before the end of that exile period, which started happening somewhere around 538 B.C., before they started rebuilding the temple, which ultimately we know was tore down as well. So my point in telling you that is by the time the people had gotten to when this psalm was written, they had a, an extensive history to look back on. They had a flood. We know that Noah had to build an ark and he found grace in the eyes of the Lord and, and that only eight people on all of the earth was saved. But God seen fit to save Noah and his family because he was true to God and what he had done. We have the patriarch period that they can look back on. Uh, matter of fact, they still call him Father Abraham today. Abraham is still their father. Even though he is also ours, Abraham's the father of three religions. But they had that patriarch period of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had 400 years of slavery that was foretold that they would have. And they went into Egypt and they was in slavery for 400 years. And Moses, a murderer, comes along. And God speaks to him in a burning bush, but the bush is not consumed. And he says, you go tell them that I am, that I am, has sent you to bring them out. And they come up out of Egypt. And when they had their backs literally against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army bearing down on them, that Egyptians, that Red Sea was parted miraculously. And they were able to walk through and the enemy was swallowed up behind them. After that, they went through the period of judges in which they were constantly wavering between good and bad. You can go and read through the book of Judges and you will see that a judge would come along and do the right things and save Israel. And then as soon as that judge died, before God had opportunity to do anything, it seems, the people would fall away and they would start doing that which was unseemly and unrighteous. And then God would have to raise up another judge to deliver them yet again they come out of the period of judges they went into the period of having kings and of course we know that David was the apple of God's eye he was anointed to be king over Israel yet Israel wanted what the world had they wanted a king that looked the part they wanted someone that was tall and big and strong so instead of having who God would choose God finally just turned them over to have what they wanted and they ended up with Saul. So they had a lot of history to look back on. The kings were constantly between good and evil. You had one good king, one bad king. You'd have three or four bad kings, and then another good one would come along and try to restore. So the people, when this psalm was written, had a lot of history to look back on of how God would interact with them. 
We can look in the church today and we have a lot of history to rely on now. Excluding the Old Testament, we've got some 2,000 years of church history starting with the New Testament. We look at this particular weekend and we also have some 505 years of Protestantism to look back on, the Protestant church. In other words, anything that's not Catholic. You see, it was on October 31st of 1517, 505 years ago, that Martin Luther put out his 95 Theses to make a break from the Catholic Church. So see, tomorrow ain't about dressing up and doing all this and that and the other. Tomorrow is about the church being pressed on and formed and, and pushed into a new dimension and a new way to reach people. We have 136 years of our own history within the Church of God. We were founded on August 19th of 1886, 136 years ago. We've got 136 years of history with this denomination that we can look back on. We have 2,000 years of healings and miracles and 2,000 years of deliverance and God setting people free. We've got 505 years of understanding that it is by faith that we are saved through grace, not of works. We've got 505 years of history to look on to know that we can make it without having to work our way into heaven. We've got 136 years to look back on to know that when God tries to bomb out a church or the people try to bomb out a church because they did that to the church of God when we first started, they would go and set dynamite up under the church buildings back in the late 1800s and even early 1900s because they didn't want us crazy tongue talkers in their communities. So they would go and try to burn out the churches. They would go and set dynamite under the churches. But we've got 136 years of history to know that even when the enemy comes against you that God will stand and when he told Peter some 2,000 years ago that upon this truth this revelation that I am the Christ I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail that those same words still stand today that when he has built his church that the gates of hell shall not prevail we've got a lot of history to look back on to know that God is good and faithful now, on top of that, we have our own personal past. I can look back and I can share testimony after testimony of what I've seen God do through me and what I've seen God do to me. I have seen people healed. I have seen cancers miraculously gone. I have seen financial breakthroughs. If I want to talk very personally, I have seen God take someone that loved beer and liquor more than most anything that was about to lose a marriage and everything else and turn it around and make him an old preacher boy that's traveling halfway around the world to teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've all got a past that we can look back on to know that God is good. We all have a past. This psalm starts out when the Lord turned again the captivity. And I told you that some may read when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. That sentence is so very difficult because of the way it's put together in the original. But I think it all points to that they had a dream. Now we like to think of when we have a dream, we think of Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream. His speech and made famous actually out of a biblical, uh, he preached out of a biblical text for that, which was Amos chapter 4 and 5. If you will go read those, that's where he was coming out of with that. 
But either, either way that you read it, whether they were in captivity and being released again or whether they had been released and went back into captivity again, either way is appropriate. Because either way will also speak to us. We so many times within our life, I believe, find ourselves in the same way that the kings were, the same way that the judges were, the same way that Israel was. In other words, we run hot and cold. Very few of us are like Paul that once he has an encounter, he takes off and he never turns his head. Most of us, I would be willing to guess whether we will admit it or not, are much like Peter. We will cut someone's ear off and we'll walk on the water and then we'll turn around and deny Christ the very next day. Because that's exactly what Peter done. And then he figures out, no, I can't do that. And we have to repent and we have to go back and we're back on the hot side of things again. And then something else comes along and we're back in the valley. I really believe that's the way most of us are. In other words, we are captive sometimes to our own thoughts, to our own minds, to our own lives. But oftentimes we also find release in walking in the Spirit, in walking in Jesus Christ. But we have trouble staying in one or the other. But this psalmist said that the way forward is to be a dreamer. We are like them that dream. When God is showing you light at the end of the tunnel, when God has spoken and you know that your rough time is just about over, when God has spoken and given you that reassurance that everything he did for the Israelites, for everything he did for those in Judah, for everything that he did for the apostles and those touched by the hands of Jesus, for everything that he's done for all of those throughout the course of history of every healing, of every salvation, of every baptism in the Holy Ghost, of every miracle, of every financial breakthrough, of everything that he's ever done, you can dream of those exact same things. And that's what this psalmist is telling you, that when you're in these ups and downs, what you need to do is dream because your past does not define who you are. It may define where you are at right now because of the decisions you made, because of things that you've done, but your past does not define who you have to be. Even if you are saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, and on the mountain top, there is still something better to dream of because our home is not this earth. Our end game is not what we can get here. Our end game is not having our knee not hurt anymore or not having to go in for a surgery or any of these things. Our end game is to endure to the end and he that endures to the end the same shall be saved. If we will endure to the end we can make it and that is what we've got to look forward to. Even if we're in the best place in our life today we need to dream for something better. We need to dream of streets of gold. We need to dream of gates of pearl. We need to dream of being able to cast our crowns of righteousness at the feet of God himself. We need to dream of the day when God himself will reach down and wipe away all of our tears. No matter where we at, we need to be a dreamer today of what is lies ahead is better. But now I will tell you that dreaming here is also often linked with Joel. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, but your old men shall dream dreams. Your old men shall dream 
dreams. You see, even the psalmist way back whenever it was already knew that there was a Holy Spirit that would be poured out that would help us to be able to see that whatever's behind us and even wherever we're at right now, there is something better waiting on the other side. We need to dream. But once we realize that we don't have to be defined by our past, once we realize that we can dream of bigger and better things, the next two verses in this psalm is nothing but praise. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us. You see, there are circumstances... And I believe this was probably written while they were in captivity, but they were seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, if you're the youngest one in the room, your light is not that much further away than the oldest in the room. A thousand years is a day. I mean, it just, time is nothing to God. When you're 20, you think 80 is far off. When you're about 50, it's right on top of you. Time is brief. So whether you're young or whether you're old, you can dream. And whether you're young or whether you're old, your circumstances are not a factor in your ability to praise God. You see, I believe they were in the middle of captivity. I believe that they were seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And they all praised together. But they didn't just praise. I love the formula and the pattern that we see here. Because oftentimes when we praise, we praise immediately for those things that are in our context, in our life, the things that are going on right now. We find it hard to praise for anything from yesterday or for someone else, particularly when we've got our own troubles or when we've seen triumph over those troubles. You know, if there is something that I desperately need when I go to the Lord that dominates my mind and it dominates what comes out of my mouth. In other words, if I have to have $10 right now, most often I will fail to praise God, I will fail to thank God, but rather I will hit my knees and say, Oh God, I need. Don't act like you don't do it. Because you do. Everyone does. Oh God, I need. And then... When God delivers, when that $10 will come through, what you do is, oh, Lord, thank you for providing for me. What's immediate? What's right now? What is in your life? That's not what they done. The very first thing that come out of their, their mouth, their mouth was filled with laughter and their tongue was singing. The first thing that they said was the Lord hath done great things for them. They wasn't even worried about their own deliverance, their own breakthrough. They were worried about what God had done for someone else. I believe when they say that we thank God for what he'd done for them, he was thanking God for letting Noah find favor and grace in his eyes. He, he was, they were thanking God that Abraham was attentive to the voice of God and that he walked out of the land that he was in. He was thankful that Moses had had enough 
uh, wherewithal about him to go and to listen to the voice of God and go back and deliver the people out of Egypt. He was thanking God that Joshua come along and led them across the Jordan River into the land that they were called into. They were thanking him that David had stepped up, that David had done the things that he was supposed to do, even in the midst of a sometimes terrible life, that he ended up being a good leader and he had Solomon who built the temple that they were so looking forward to going back into. They were thanking God that for Elijah and Elisha and all the miracles that they performed, that he could still raise dead bodies, that he could still make axe heads float, that he could still use four lepers to run off an entirety of an army and set free a nation city. They were thanking God for everything that he had done throughout all time for everyone else. They were praising God for who he was and who he is. Then, after they said, God has done all these great things for them, then they said, God, I thank you that you give me that $10 that I needed. You see, then they turned it on themselves. They recognized God for who God was before they ever took it internally, before they ever moved it to a personal level. Then, after they'd done that, they took time to thank God for all that he had done for them throughout their time, throughout their life, in their immediate context. So they looked at their past. They understood that they had to dream for better things ahead. The only way that they could dream for better things ahead was to praise God for all that he had already done in the past, for all the times that he had set free, for all the times that he had delivered, for all the times that he had healed, for all the times that he raised up another judge, another king, another way of deliverance, another way of salvation. They praised. And then after they had praised about all that God had done in their past, they had a prayer. And their prayer is in verse 4, and it's one of the simplest prayers that I can recollect reading in the Bible. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Sometimes I feel like we're like the Pharisees that he talks about in the New Testament. We like to pray in church and on the street corner with many words. Boy, if it ain't in the right King James Version prayer, he ain't hearing it. If we don't pray for 30 minutes, he ain't hearing it. If you got a stopwatch, you can time it. But I imagine it'd take about a second. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. End of prayer. While they spent more time praising... We spend more time begging. They spent more time looking at yesterday and all that God had already done throughout the course of history. We spend more time begging again. One simple prayer, turn again our captivity. But that prayer was based on what they had already acknowledged and praised. It was a simple prayer because God has already done it over and over again and can I tell you that if you know that God has already done it over and over and over again that he will continue to do it over 
and over and over again. Because he said Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha, the Omega, the author, the finisher of our faith. What does that mean to us? God can make you spiritually free again. You might be down in the valley, but I can tell you that before the end of this church service, you can be back on a mountaintop. You might see no way out of the situation that you're in, but God is not a God that has to take 10 or 15 years to work something out. Because when they prayed, they didn't pray for God to do it in His time. Now, I know we have to let God move in His time, but they prayed for something now. And they didn't demand it, they just asked. Based on what you've already done, God, this is what we need here. Because when they say like the streams in the south, what they're talking about is the Negev Desert, which was notoriously without any life and dry and had no streams, except for one time a year when the rainy season would come, then all of a sudden it would be inundated, flooded with water. And this water would bring along this new hope and this vitality to this dead, dry desert. And it happened in an instant, in a moment. If you've ever been caught in a flash flood, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You will look out your door one moment and the creek is in its banks. And you look back out five minutes later and it's getting ready to sweep away your home. That's what they were asking. They have already acknowledged everything that God had already done in the past. They had praised Him for all of that and recognized Him for who He was. So all they had to do when it come time to fulfill their needs, to be able to get out of captivity, to be able to walk into a newness of life, was say, turn again our captivity, O Lord. Sometimes you have to be fed up with where you're at. You have to be tired of battling the same thing week after week or day after day or month after month for some people it's year after year you have to reach a point where you just get tired you have to reach a point where you're fed up you need to just look at God and you say God I know that you've done it for this person. I know you've done it for that person. I know that person used to be this way, but now they are saved by the blood. I know that for Abraham, you led him into a strange area and you prospered him and birthed three religions out of him. I know that Noah, even though he was surrounded by people that wanted nothing to do with you, that you seen fit to save him and his family. I know, God, that you sent your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, so that whosoever would believeth in him would have eternal life because you didn't send him to judge the world but that the world through him might be saved God I know that when Peter stepped out of the boat he was able to walk on water I know that when Peter and John walked through the temple and there was an old crippled man they were able to look down and say silver and gold have I none but such as I have I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth Rise up and walk. I know that you encountered Paul on a Damascus road and you radically changed him from someone that was breathing fire and threats and murdering Christians to being the greatest evangelist ever. God, I know you've done it before and I need you to work in the immediacy now. You see, this prayer is not for a gradual turnaround, but it's for a sudden rushing of a mighty wind 
Does that sound familiar? Because when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Friend, I will tell you this morning for a fact that if you will start dreaming about something better than your past and you will start praising God for all that you have seen Him do throughout your life, all that you have seen Him do throughout the course of history, you can offer a simple prayer that will see immediate change. But now I've still got two more verses and a little bit of time. So, You see, they had the past, they praised, they prayed, and then there come a promise. When they done all of that, what was said to them is they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Life is difficult sometimes. Matter of fact, I've said it this way before, life is never easy and rarely fun. I don't mean to say that to be a Debbie Downer. I've just, I've lived long enough to know that, you know, life can be fun sometimes, but it's never easy. It's hard to find ways to provide. It's hard to find things that you need sometimes. It's hard to deal with people. It's hard to deal with loss. It's hard to live life. But we can rest assured knowing that God sees our tears and hears our prayers. Do you ever plan anything and nothing comes up? I've done it a lot of times. When I was growing up, we had a nice big garden. It was fed three families. And I'd go out and we'd plant corn and beans and all kinds of other things. We raised about anything you could raise. And you'd go out in a couple of weeks and you'd have to drop some more corn in some of the hills because there wasn't none coming up. You'd have to drop some more beans in because nothing sprouted out of that one. That's what happens when you plant in dirt, when you plant with human hands. Things happen. You think they're going to come up, but you don't really have faith. You don't hope. See, hope's eternal. Hope's something certain and sure. Matter of fact, that's why you buy extra seed because you know from the history of planting a garden that every time you plant a pound of corn, you're going to have to go back and plant about an eighth that much again because it didn't come up. Same thing with beans. You know there's going to be failure. But with God, there is no option for failure. When God says something, matter of fact, Paul put it this way, let God be true and every man a liar. Who is God that he... Should lie or change his mind, he changeth not. God said that when you sow in tears, when you sow. See, you plant corn, it may or may not come up. But when you plant in tears, focused upon God. He has made you the promise that you will reap in joy. Every tear that you've ever planted while you were on your knees crying out to God will be answered with your harvest of joy in heaven. Every tear that you've ever sown into the ground in prayer will be answered with shouts of joy when you get into heaven. 
Now, I can't explain everything to you now, why things happen the way they happen. I've told you time and time again out of Isaiah, what Isaiah said, that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Paul puts it like this, that we see through a glass darkly. But then there's coming a day that we're going to see face to face. Now I know in part. I know in part. I don't know it all. But then shall I know even as also I am known. God knows everything about God knows you better than you know you. God knows you better than you know yourself. Half of you in here probably don't know your blood type. Probably way more than half don't know your blood type. You don't know how medicines affect your body. You just take the doctor's word for it. You don't know how the intricacies of your body works to get oxygen out of your lungs and into your blood and in CO2 back so you can expel it out your mouth when you breathe out. You don't know why bones work certain ways. You don't know why your eyes fail or improve. You know, there's so many things you don't know even about your body. But I would say that that even goes into a spiritual aspect. You don't know why sometimes you stumble on something that you thought you had conquered 20 years ago. You don't know why you can't just grasp that one scripture. It keeps eluding you. I prayed and studied for probably eight years on one passage out of 1 Samuel. And it took me that long to come to an understanding. See, I didn't know, but God already knows all of that. He knew that. He knew why I couldn't get it. He knew that it had to be for a particular time. He knows exactly how our blood system works, our musculoskeletal system. He knows how all of our organs work. He knows everything there is to know about us. He knows why we keep tripping up on something that we think we ought not be tripped up on. We argue about what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. God knows. God knows everything. But here's what I do know. That even knowing all of this, that I can't tell you the answers to all of life's problems and I can't tell you everything about you. I know that God promises that all those that sow seeds of tears will produce a harvest of joy. I know that because God said it. And I have lived long enough and I can rely on the past. I can rely on the praise. I can rely on the prayers that I've already seen answered to know that when God makes a promise that it is standing for all time. This was just not for David. This was just not for those in the Old Testament. It wasn't even just for those in the New Testament. It is for all times that God says when you sow tears in, in, uh, when you sow tears that you are going to reap in joy. So we've got the past, we've got the praise, we've got the prayer, we've got the promise. Now I'm going to try to wrap up with press on. You need to press on. Today is not the end unless Jesus comes back or something odd happens. He said, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Now I know our ultimate coming again with rejoicing is when we enter in into the gates of heaven. But until we get there, we need to keep trying to come again into this house with rejoicing. 
But he didn't just say come again with rejoicing. He said bring ye sheaves with him. Sheaves were just bundles of their harvest. They had done been out into the field. They had done planted seeds. They had done the work. You can't just go out and plant seeds and not work. Can I tell you that? You, you can't just go plant seeds and not work it and expect it to produce a good harvest. If you go out and you throw corn in the ground and beans or whatever else you want to grow and you don't go back out, you don't weed it, you don't make sure all the seed come up, you don't replant where you need to, you don't get some fertilizer down, you don't water if it's a, a very dry season. If you don't do these things, you'll go out and you might get a half full ear of corn or uh, some real scrawny beans that just might be enough for a dinner or two when you could have had enough to do multiple weeks. In other words, when you go out and you do the work, you expect to bring a harvest in. But it is work. And what God has said is that you sow in tears, you reap in joy, and when you go forth and you weep, you're bearing precious seed. But when you bear that precious seed, if you have borne that precious seed, you will come again rejoicing. And you will have harvest to bring with you. Now, he doesn't say which harvest. You know, it may be a harvest that you have not even prayed for. You may be praying for this harvest, but in your prayers and your tears and your care and your love for this harvest, this harvest may not even be yours to get. But you may be bringing this harvest with you because they've watched from afar. They've seen. They know what you've done. They know how you've lived. He doesn't say which harvest, but he says if you are true and faithful to him, he will be true and faithful to you. And that when you cry and when you plead and when you praise and you pray and you do these things, that there will be a harvest for you to come in with rejoicing. So praise, pray. Listen to the promise. Grab the promise and then press on. Revelation 14, 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their deeds or their works do follow them. You have to press on. It's not time to stop. It's not time to rest on yesterday. A lot of times we rest on yesterday. Who was left among you that saw this house in her first glory? That's scripture. I'm not just asking you an empty question. That was Haggai. How do you see it now? Boy, don't we get caught up on that. It's not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you come out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Same spirit that brought them out of Egypt into the promised land is the same spirit that is with us today. And he says, Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once... It is for a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. We know that time's coming. And I will shake all the nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, 
saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine. Now look, I've talked about vision and I've talked about this land. I know what it's going to cost to build on it, roughly. I know that on our current finances, we can't build what I'd like to see built on it. And I've told the council, I've told y'all, and I tell you again this morning, you don't have to have it, I don't have to have it, because all the silver and all the gold is God's. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. We can't press on if we're still pressing back. We, we, ha we have to go from the past to praise, to prayer, to grabbing the promise, to pressing on. We can only do that, remember what I said at the very start, a dreaming mindset. We are like those that dream. Galatians 6 and 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Here's my call this morning. I love Philippians chapter 3, 14, 15. You've all heard it a lot. Simply exhort you this morning to press on. Now, if you're not saved, if you're not submitted your life to Christ, However you want to word it, it's all the same. Today's the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not promised. You cannot grab the promises of God if you're not living the life of God. So first and foremost, if you need to submit your life to Christ, you need to submit your life to Christ. You need to do it. You need to quit waiting. The Spirit has brought you here. The Spirit is calling, dealing, answer. Just answer. For the rest, as I call you to prayer, this is what Paul said. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Are you pressing on for what God has for you, for us as a church, for your family? Or are you resting on the past? Are you still stuck in seeing He done it for them, but not dreaming He can do it for you? Are you praying based off of that praise? Are you grabbing the promise God has for you? In other words, are you pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? I don't know if you are. Some of you may not even know if you are. But Paul said that if you will come and ask that God will reveal even this unto you. That if anything, if you, in anything you be otherwise minded, God will reveal it to you. So my, my call this morning is this. If you need to submit your life to Christ, please come. Please. There is no way to get into heaven except for through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no one comes unto the Father but through me. For everybody else, I would just urge you to come and pray.
Pray that God would reveal to you what needs worked on in you. Pray that God would reveal to the church what we need to do as a church to press on. Just come and submit your prayer to God. Now, if you need prayer for something, please come and grab me. Consider it an honor to pray with and for people. Me and the council will be glad to circle around you and lay hands on you, anoint you. But this morning, just come. Come. The altars are open.